What's up? Hope you guys are having a great day today. My name is Matthew Spazzitti, and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazzitti Program, where we talk about financial freedom and economics. Guys, ultimately, the main message of the show, and we do kind of get out of the uh, the framework of the show sometimes. Sometimes we, we go off on different topics unrelated to financial freedom and economics. Sometimes we talk about political theory and politics and stuff of that nature. Sometimes we talk about personal finances and investing, although I would say that those kind of have you know, stuff to do with financial freedom. But that said, ladies and gentlemen, the reason we talk about financial freedom and economics is because it's really financial freedom, in my view, is the only way to truly gain freedom. Taking control of the source of your income is the only way to truly be free in today's world, in the 21st century. And economics is how we view the world and the events that occur in the world. And it gives us the framework and the glasses, I like to call them. It gives us the glasses that we need in order to see things that are that are happening all around us and how to translate it, how to understand what it really all means for our freedoms, our family, and our prosperity. So that's the main reason that we focus. I feel like economics and financial freedom are two complementary pieces that, that that mesh quite well. That in order to become financially free, we need to understand what's going to happen. We need to see the things down the road. We need to have a future foresight, if you will, a, a very long-term vision and be constantly looking out to the future in order to determine how to position ourselves. I really view them as not just two pieces that go together, but I view them as two sides of the exact same coin. You can't really have one without the other. Sure, you can be successful and you can make money for time. But if you don't understand economics, if you don't know how to position yourself and how to ultimately, you know, point your life in the right direction because you don't know how to read the events that are going on all around you, then in the end, you're not going to be wealthy for very or successful for very long. So that's why we talk about them here. I feel the, I feel a lot of passion for both of them, and it, it's really great. So that said, ladies and gentlemen, if you were joining me for the first time today, I first and foremost want to say welcome, and I'd like to ask you to take the 10 episode challenge. This is something I ask you guys at the beginning of every episode. Um, why? Because I think it's incredibly important. Look, the 10 episode challenge is exactly how it sounds. I am asking you to go back and listen to the last 10 episodes of the show, particularly if you're new. And the main reason I'm asking you to do this is because I feel that there's a lot of value back in those last 10 episodes. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to sound arrogant. I just think there's so much value, so much knowledge that's back there that if you just start listening to today, you're really going to miss out on it. Also, on top of it, there's a bit more of a practical reason to it as well. The practical reason is that I'm going to be mentioning things, you know, in past episodes that I've talked about. I'm going to be maybe mentioning terminologies that I've defined in past episodes or maybe particular news items or things of that nature that you're just not going to be aware of if you're just now listening to to today's episode and today's episode only. Now, if you do go back and you do listen to the last 10 episodes and you love it, you want to listen to more, then more power to you. But in the 
end, you know, I feel that if you go back and listen to the last 10 episodes, you will get more value out of this podcast and you will also be aware of the things that we're talking about going forward into the future. That said, ladies and gentlemen, what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about a situation that actually kind of came up you know, in my, in my life, uh, last week, I want to say, I think it was last week I was on parlor and I had posted a quote from HL Mankin. Now I don't actually believe everything and agree on everything HL Mankin actually talked about. However, he, he has a lot of criticisms of democracy and he has said a lot of things that I do find myself very much in agreement with. Again, I don't agree with everything the guy said, but that said, you know, I posted something on parlor and which actually went viral. I, I would consider it viral, viral. 34,000 people saw it and over a hundred people basically reposted it and uh, they call it echoed in parlor. So, you know, they echoed it over a hundred people did. And it actually received quite a lot of uh, attention and a lot of, uh, some people agreed, some people heavily criticized it, but it led people to see other things that I was posting. Now, the post that I actually made uh, from H.L. Mencken was really that politics is largely a charade of constantly causing the public to be in fear and basically constantly terrorizing them with one hobgoblin after another, all of which is imaginary. Now, that's not the actual, that's not word for word, all right? I I botched that quite a bit, um, just basing it off of memory, but you guys get the idea. Politics is nothing more than a fear-generating device that that causes everyone to be afraid of one calamity after another, and none of it's real, none of it's really anything that anybody needs to worry about. And that is what the quote was. Now, again, you can see, now, Parler is a platform that is almost exclusively dominated by right-wing Christian conservatives, right? So as a result of that, it's not really hard to understand how that kind of a of a post would really enrage that many people. But it, you know, it caused some people to even question other posts that I had made. I made another post that was kind of making it very that was very humorous and it was mocking democracy. Basically, it was this little girl playing with this little tiny toy steering wheel saying that this is what uh, it looks like when you give adults the ability to vote. It makes them feel like they have power when they don't. And that, and it, more or less, that was kind of the general idea. And that kind of uh, sparked a couple of questions that people were asking me. It's like, well, you know, you, you mind unpacking this box you just laid at my doorstep? Or it's like, well, technically you came to my profile and you read that. So I'm not entirely sure that I laid it at your doorstep so much as you came to my doorstep <laughs> and whatnot. But that said, you know, and there was another person who said, do you care to explain what you mean? Well, of course I do. So this is what this episode is going to be about. The only reason I'm not explaining on Parlor is because, quite frankly, it would take a, a lot of explaining, and quite frankly, even with a thousand words, I don't know if I, I, I would I would be hard pressed to do it, and I would rather do it in a podcast form. But uh, and that's what I'm going to do. So, why do I not agree with voting? Should you vote? My answer is indefinitely always no, and the reason is 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 because your vote really doesn't matter. I know that's really hard for many of you. If you guys are coming from, look, we have grown up in a democratically elected republic, 
okay? That's the system that we grew up here in America, or at least that's the system on paper. Over the years, it has become more seemingly, right? Seemingly, not necessarily in reality, but it seems like it has become more and more democratic as time has gone on. We've moved more and more towards that democracy, uh, you know, state and whatnot. And that's the situation that it looks like we're moving in. And, you know, more people, I mean, the democracy wasn't even mentioned in the Constitution. It's not even a word that you can find if you decide to read the Constitution. It just doesn't exist because the founding fathers were not even thrilled of democracy. I got tons of quotes on my phone, no less, of articles that I've read where the founding fathers openly attacked or at least heavily criticized democracy. They didn't even like democracy themselves. And that really should be a very, 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 very uh, telling sign of voting and the voting process and things of that nature. Even the founding fathers didn't really believe in it. And so, granted, that's why they didn't set up a democracy. They set up a republic where we democratically elect some people. And that democratic, that tiny democratic process that the the founding fathers created was only really meant to be a very small piece in a wide array of checks and balances, right? I like to think about democracy in this way, right? Democracy is like a virus, Okay, and I don't say that because of all the COVID stuff going on. I don't say that because of that. But look, it really is. Look, if you understand what a virus is, there's really no way you can cure it, right? It's not so you can't just take a medicine and the medicine will eradicate it. That doesn't happen with a virus. The only way to get over a virus is to let it run its course. Now, in today's medical, you know, environment, you can have they can treat you for the symptoms of a virus and ultimately the virus hopefully won't inconvenience you too much and you can for the for for the most part get over it. But in the end, there is no way to cure it. You know, another way of thinking about it could be cancer. Cancer is very serious, and while there are some cancers you can treat with with pretty high consistency rates, there are other cancers that you can't, that really there isn't a lot that they can do, and that's the type of cancer that I think democracy is. Once it infects the minds of the people, it is an ideology that ultimately spreads and corrupts and destroys as it is spreading, and there's really very, very little we can do about it, and I feel like that's what democracy really is. Having said that, let's go ahead and dive into, now that you get my, you you know my opinion about democracy and stuff, let's go ahead and talk about uh, voting. But before I do, I want to kind of give you guys a bit of a background of of who I am, right? Of where I'm coming from. You see, I came from a very Christian, conservative, Republican background where all I did, I was always told to vote, 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 no matter who it was. Well, even if you don't like this guy, you know, he's better than the other guys. So, you know, just vote. You know, the Democrats are going to kill the world. They're going to kill the United States. And that is more or less the idea, what I was taught literally from day one. Now that I'm all grown up and, you know, I'm in my early thirties and everything, I, I, a couple years ago, I started to question the idea of whether democracy was really a, a good thing or not. And, and in the end, I came to realize that no, democracy is nothing more than a farce. And this is why I, and this is the reason why I don't think voting is really anything anybody should do. I have voted all my life and I voted always for Republicans, right? Ever since I could vote, it was always for Republicans, And now I'm coming around and saying that, you know what, voting is crap. 
you know, and I'm not a left-wing young millennial. I am a millennial, unfortunately. Not very too thrilled with the generation that I'm part of. But that said, I don't believe in democracy. I don't believe in voting. So now that you have some background about me, you know, you know where I'm coming from. You know that I wasn't always a a vote a democracy hater, a vote hater, and stuff of that nature. You know that now now I'm I, I'm not, or I wasn't that way, and and I've come to kind of. Uh, it changed my mindset over the years and really become more, I guess, my eyes have just been open to the uh, the illusion that, that democracy really is. So going into it, now that we're, we've, we've handled a lot of that stuff, let's go ahead and talk about why I do not agree with voting, why I think it's really a waste of time. And really, to, to be completely fair with you, I, I just, it, your vote doesn't matter. And you shouldn't be th- tricked into thinking that it does. And here's why, okay? You know, as much as we are taught today that we have a two-party system, Democrats and Republicans, in the end, they're really on the same team. Sure, they may fight when cameras are going and they may act like they're going to beat the crap out of each other, but in the end, they're actually the same. The power and size of government continues to grow. The amount that government goes into debt, the amount of spending that government does continues to grow. What the government wants, effectively the government gets. That is the truth. So whether you are voting Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. Because they're the same. Sure, they may have different rhetorics, although the rhetorics are starting to sound more and more similar all the time. Republicans can no longer, if they ever could, maybe at one point in time they could actually claim this, but they can no longer claim that they are the fiscally conservative. And even when they were able to claim that, and even when they were saying, well, we didn't spend as much as the Democrats would have, they still were spending money they had no right to spend. They were still stealing money from us through the form of taxation, through the form of inflation. They had no right to steal. They still were guilty of the very core principles, the very core things that take away our freedom. They were still guilty of engaging in those activities, same as the Democrats. And yet, for whatever reason, many people think the Republicans are better. I, I don't understand that whatsoever. But that said, ladies and gentlemen, they're the same party. And, you know, I'm actually going to make some quotes here. This is this was a, a, an article from the Mises Institute written by David Heleniak. Heleniak, I think it was written in 2008. So, uh, you know, years and years and years ago. But basically what it says is what you have today is like walking into the grocery store and you go to the soft drink department and there's only Pepsi and Coke. Those are the two you get to choose from. There is no Mountain Dew. There is no root beer, no orange. They're both colas. One is slightly sweeter than the other, depending on which side of the aisle you are on. That is an excellent, an excellent description of the of what I'm trying to get across to you. But here's one more quote. In an interview with Newsmax, Jesse Ventura described politicians, the whole quote-unquote two-party system, but he, he described it as pro-wrestlers, and I'll go ahead and jump into it. In pro-wrestling, out in front of the people, we make it look like we all hate each other and want to beat the crap out of each other, and that's how we get your money and get you to come down and buy tickets. They're the same thing. Out in front of the public and cameras, they hate each other, are going to beat the crap out of each other, but behind the scenes, they're all going to dinner, cutting deals, and they're doing what we did too. 
laughing all the way to the bank. And that to me is what you have today in today's political world with these two parties. I think those are really great, you know, analogies that basically describe the two-party system and really just trying to explain how they're not two parties. Regardless of who vote, who gets elected, the size and the scope of government is going to continue to increase. You know, regardless of who gets elected, spending and debt will increase on the government side. And if the governments want what something, they're going to get it. That's just how it is, ladies and gentlemen. It's the very nature of politics. It's the very nature of democracy. You see, while we may have a democratically elected republic on on paper, right? In reality, what we really have is a theocratically controlled oligarchy in practice, Okay, and you can choose not to see it this way if you want. This is how I see it, and I'm going to you know, more or less blow your mind by explaining this. So many of you may not have ever thought of it in this way, and I, I never used to either. I, I had it introduced to me a little while ago, and I'm like, hey, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Ultimately, what we have in America today is a very secular theocracy in the education system of our country. And we have all these priests. These priests are in white robes. They're scientists. They're intellectuals. They're professors. Okay? And these priests, they they learn about democracy, socialism, whatever, you know, maybe even communism, the collectivism. They learn about these types of ideologies. They get indoctrinated in the system through the education system, and then they go out and it, either they're in the education system or they go out into other aspects of the world, such as working in media. That's another area where a lot of power really resides in this country. I mean, the, the, the main power that, our, that resides in our country is really education and the media. Okay, whether it's social media, whether it's the news, whether it's movies, whatever, media and education. And the education is the is where the indoctrination process occurs. And it's not a religious theocracy like we typically uh, think about it with regards to Christianity or Judaism or even Islam today. It's not a theocracy, a, rid, a religious theocracy in that sense. It is a very, very secular theocracy, a very anti-religious theocracy, but it's a religion in itself. I, whether that's climate change, racism, sexism, you know, feminism, whatever it is, those things, they're, they are religions. They're heavily believed in. They have tenets. They have sins. If you speak against them, you are a sinner and it, it, they justify all kinds of horrible things against you. If the Twitter mob hasn't been an example of that this year in 2020, where people are willing to come after you for saying that racism doesn't exist, or at least it doesn't exist in the same way, or that's absurd, you know, when when someone wants to point to the left and say, y'all are being just as racist, you are propagating a racist idea that one group is better than the other, or, or whatever, just if anyone says anything, the Twitter mob comes after them. People lose their jobs. Their accounts get shut down. Their lives get destroyed. This is very much a religion, and it's not just racism. It's a whole host of other things. Like I said, feminism, climate change, you name it. 
It's all a religion. It's just a secular religion. It's an atheistic religion, right? A religion without God, a religion without a deity at all. The deity, I guess you could say, is really more government. And, and ladies and gentlemen, they have their, their priests and their, again, their professors, their scientists, their quote-unquote experts that are out there preaching this message. And that's the theocracy aspect of this. But the oligarchy aspect is really the cronyism that we have in America today, where it's big captains of industry, big corporations that are in bed in big government. Think about it. Now, l just think about it for one second, Okay. How many regulations exist because of big corporations? If you're a big corporation, you have a lobbyist. How many regulations, how many laws get put into effect that affect your daily life and my daily life because of the, you know, the, the, the lobbying that big corporations do with government? You see, they vote for laws that on the surface seem like they actually hurt the big corporations like cafe standards with regards to, the, you know, the, the automotive manufacturing industry, right? The, you would think that that would hurt the car companies. But in reality, the big car companies can absorb the cost. And really, it actually ends up aiding them and helping them maintain market share. Because those regulations with regards to emission standards, those regulations with regards to safety standards, all of that is a high, high, high cost that smaller competitors cannot compete with. So while these big car companies and manufacturing firms, while they don't have control, they, they don't have full control, they don't have a monopolistic control, they absolutely are cutting out competition with these regulations. And you see, because it's actually more expensive from a big corporation standpoint, what the bigger a corporation gets, and you need to understand this, okay? If you're interested in business and things, you need to understand this key fact. The bigger a corporation gets, the heavier it becomes and the less nimble it becomes. It can't make decisions as quickly. It becomes bloated with bureaucracies and red tape and people arguing, no one, you know, meetings all the time. If you work for a big corporation, you know this to be true. How easy is it to get anything done? Is it efficient? Absolutely not. You got to go through 50 different meetings, meeting all the time, yet you have all this work that you have to accomplish on a daily basis, and yet you still have to go to all these meetings. And you just sometimes get the idea that these meetings are, they don't do anything a lot of times and no decision ever gets made, or at least very rarely they do. That's what big corporations are. They become so heavily bloated, so full of red tape, so full of, you know, just bureaucracy that in the end, they're, it just, they can't move very quickly. Whereas a smaller corporation can move very fast. They can, they are nimble. They're fast. They're trimmed. They're not that, ex, they're, there's not a massive load of expenses on top of them that, that weigh them down. They haven't developed the bureaucracies at that yet. So they can move and make decisions very, very quickly. Now, while they may not have access to funds quite so much as the large corporations have, they still are much more nimble and they can move to market sentiment much faster than the big corporations can. As a result of that, it actually is more expensive for the big corporations to try to deal with the small companies than it is to pay some politicians to keep some regulations in effect that ultimately cuts them out all the, the smaller competition out altogether. This is the nature of the oligarchy that we're in. 
So many big corporations lobby and cre- and have all these regulations created that in the end only make things more expensive for you and me. Do you think it's it, it makes the cars cheaper when they have emission standards that they have to adhere to? Do you think that it makes those cars cheaper when they have safety standards that they have to adhere to? Look, I'm not in I'm not saying that I'm against safety standards per se, but they need to be reasonable. And they certainly should not be a barrier to entry to the competitors. But the fact of the matter is that they say it's in the name of safety. It's always in your interest, right? It's always for your benefit. Every law, every regulation, they could be punching you in the face and they'd say it's for your good. In the end, it's not for your good. It's got nothing to do with you. And this is the oligarchy that we have in America today. We have a theocratically controlled oligarchy. This system is not set up to benefit you. And the reason your vote doesn't matter is because you don't pay the politicians their wages. Sure, they get paid because of your tax dollars. But you don't distribute the tax dollars. You don't distribute the money directly to them. Therefore, you don't control them. And if you think that your vote actually matters, it, it just think of this. You know, if you pick your phone up to this day and you try to call your politician, are you going to get an automated message or maybe even a secretary? You're lucky if you will even get a secretary, ladies and gentlemen. And may, maybe some of you have had some success in the past with calling a politician. But look, the vast majority of people are not you. The vast majority of people do not have success. If you call the politician, you're going to get a secretary. You're going to get some form of automated message. We care about your opinion. But get this. The big corporations who have lobbyists that can walk down there and hand the politician a check for their campaigns or under the table dealings, that corporation, whoever's at the top, whoever's dealing with these politicians, that guy is going to get the phone answered by the politician. That guy is actually going to get to talk to the politician. Why? Because he's legitimately paying the politician money. He controls the politician there in his pocket. Whoever controls the money controls you. Those who have the gold makes the rules. I'm sure you've heard of this statement before, right? Well, it's very true in this. Those who have the money make the rules. And you and I don't have any. We're we're not given thousands, if not millions of dollars to politicians. I mean, sure, in our taxes, of course we are. But we're not distributing the checks. Therefore, they are not at our beck and call. Now you can say, but Matthew, we can vote. We can change who's politicians. We can oust the system. No, 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 no. If you're saying that you, you, you aren't listening to what I'm saying. The system isn't set up to benefit you. The system isn't even set up for you. Voting is nothing more than an illusion of power, an illusion of control. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, is that because you're not paying the politicians the money, it's not directly coming from you. It's not coming out of your pocket. You have no control. And your vote doesn't matter at all. Again, government's going to continue to get bigger, gain more power, erode our freedoms, regardless of who gets elected. Look, ladies and gentlemen, there is a ruling class in in America today. It's the politicians. It's the big, massive, wealthy, you know, corporatists. It's the big corporations. It's, it's It's the elite, right? The oligarchy. 
They are the ruling class. Do you really think that they're going to let you just vote away their power? Sure, you might be able to vote yourself some money. Welfare, Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, the Affordable Care Act, you know, with regards to your universal health care. And at some point down the road, there's probably going to be universal basic income. There's probably going to be free college. That's just, that's coming down the pipeline, ladies and gentlemen. Be ready for it. It's coming. Look, you might be able to vote yourself in some free things, but really it's crumbs. It's just crumbs from their table. That's all it is. And it's all there just to appease you. But if, if anything, the only reason they're willing to give it to you is because if they control the money, they control you. And the more money they give you, the more power and control they have over you. You see, if it reduced the power that they had, they wouldn't give it to you at all. They'd, they'd say, go screw yourself. I mean, I don't know if you guys have heard. I mean, there was a, uh, oh gosh, there was a an argument with Biden a little while ago. He was talking to a bunch of workers and hard hats. I don't even, I don't even know. I just saw a small clip of it on Twitter, but it definitely was Biden. He was talking to a guy, looked like a, a union. All right. It looked like a union or it looked like a bunch of, uh, you know, steel workers or some kind of, you know, uh, manufacturing and whatnot. But anyway, some young guy came up to him and said, you're going to take away my guns. You're going to take away my guns. You even said this. And he, and he was like, say, oh, I'm not going to take away your guns. And it was, and he was, and basically the young guy, eventually the, the, the argument came out to the young guy saying, you work for me. And he said, I don't work for you. And it was really funny, but it was really true, right? It's so true. In reality, on paper, and what we're led to believe in our school system, again, the theocracy, we are led to believe that they are civil servants, that they work for us. Biggest load of BS I have ever heard. If anyone says that to you, do not listen to a word they're saying, walk away. The fact of the matter, ladies and gentlemen, is they don't work for you. They don't work for me. They work for whoever's given them power and money and we aren't it. If they decide to give you anything, it's only to further ensure their power, further ensure the money that they're going to get. They don't work for you. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I don't even know, I don't know how, how else I can describe, explain it, but that's the truth. That's why your vote doesn't matter because the system isn't set up that way. There's no incentive to. Again, incentives are the most important thing in human in, in our world. Incentives matter. And there is no incentive to care for the politicians to care or to give one iota for what you think and what you want. It just there isn't. Ladies and gentlemen, there just isn't. That said, I have a couple of articles I want to read from. I'm not going to read the whole articles uh, because they, they were quite large. They're from the Mises Institute. Usually anything from the Mises Institute is quite large. But there's some there's some really, really good bits in here that I want to read to you. Uh, we're going to continue with the article that I was uh, reading from you before, which was Mock the Vote by David Heleniak. Heleniak? Heleniak? Whatever. I, I'm probably butchering his, butchering his last name. But anyways, we're going to talk about some of the stuff that he was saying and uh, we're gonna, and then we're gonna talk about another one called "Votes of Idiots" by Doug French. This is great. Doug French used to be the. Let me see. I, th I think he used to be the former president of the Mises Institute. 
and he's the author of Early Speculative Bubbles and Increases in the Money Supply, as well as the author of Walk Away, The Rise and Fall, The Homeownership Myth. Um, he's really, really great guy. I've actually, I've I've read the Walk Away book. It's actually really, really good. It's actually for free. You get it on PDF. I think I've, in other episodes, I've actually talked about it. And I've even uh, listed it as articles in the show notes page. So, you know, uh, I'm not going to list it in the show notes page for this one. I will list these two, these two articles. And if you actually, if you go down to the one that Doug French wrote, uh, his book is actually a link. So you could click on that link. If you go to the, uh, you know, about the author section at the very end of the article, if you go to the the bottom and you click on that link, it will take you uh, to the page where you can actually download the PDF. It's a free book and it's actually really, really good. It just gives you a lot of information with regards to the housing industry and basically how that whole industry is completely corrupt and controlled by the government these days and all, all kinds of stuff. So anyways, let's go ahead and jump back into the article and then we'll go ahead and close out this, this episode. So, uh, we're going to actually pick up from right after the, the whole wrestler analogy in which the, uh, Jesse Ventura basically, uh, talked about, but basically Jesse, it says here, Jesse's right. Our political system is a farce. This year we have running for president, a warmonger who's a reluctant socialist versus a socialist who's a reluctant warmonger. And again, this was done in November of 2008, just for you guys to know, they're not actually talking about the two constituents today, but anyways, we have two parties that claim they're different. But when the establishment, the complex, our shadowy overlords, whatever you want to call them, really want something, they get it. When the establishment wanted the bailout in the face of almost universal grassroots opposition, they got it. When the complex wanted immunity to the telecoms who knowingly spied on Americans, guess what? They got it. When our shadowy overlords wanted stormtroopers to brutally stifle protesters during the party conventions, they got it. But even if voters had a real choice, and even if the politicians followed the majority will on issues that matter, the system would still most likely be a farce. Now, before we continue, I really want to kind of talk about why it would still be a farce, because in the end, look, even if the the, the politicians cared about what the majority said and actually followed what the majority said, it still would be a farce because the entire society, the entire culture is built around supporting this idea of democracy and when democracy is the thing that everyone focuses on things that the government does is largely seen as things that the people want it's largely seen as something that the people voted for even when that's asinine you see when monarchs came out and did something Ultimately, the people got really hung up about, in one of these articles, I don't remember which one, it will actually kind of say that, but when monarchs did something, when they raised the taxes or whatever, when they came up with a new law or regulation, the people were outraged, yet now we turn a blind eye. Do you think a monarch ever would have been able to get away with 40% income taxes? No. No, they wouldn't have. They never would have been able to get away with that. They would have had a mass, you know, a revolution on their hands. They would have been ousted. In very much the same way, a lot of people don't really see it this way, but ladies and gentlemen, monarchs really ruled by the consent of the governed. In, in many ways, that kind of was the system. You know, granted, yes, an absolute monarch had had absolute power, but that power was only maintained by the monarch so long as the people were, were seen it, saw it as legitimate and so long as they were okay with it. If they weren't okay, then history has shown us what happens. The freaking king gets beheaded. He gets taken to the guillotine. There is a symbiotic relationship between the monarch and the monarch's subjects. 
The monarch starts abusing the subjects too much, eventually the subjects are going to rise up and dethrone him quite quickly, and that did happen many times in history. So there is a, a check and a balance there that a lot of people don't really understand. It's not a perfect system, you know. Don't get me wrong; it's it's no by no means a perfect system. But anyways, uh, we're gonna we're getting off topic. But look, even if the, the the politicians, even if they actually cared about your uh, your votes and what you really thought, they cared about the majority. In the end, the majority still would be more than okay with the government becoming powerful because it's seen as a public ownership of government, where no one really owns it, and anyone can be a politician. Anybody can be a president, el presidente, and whatnot, anyone can achieve that power. So it's actually seen as something where we want to maintain the power so that we can ultimately battle over it and duke it out and see who can actually grasp it. That's that's the way the, the, the public sees it. That's the way the public treats it. So even if the democracy, even if it was set up to actually where the people's wishes were actually listened to, it's still would be a farce. It still wouldn't matter. Anyways, as Augustine observed, without justice, a government is nothing but a band of thieves. Augustine was writing about kingdoms, but his insight applies to democracies as well. Without justice, the ability of the subjects of a government to vote on the laws and rulers that govern them doesn't make a government any more legitimate than an unjust monarchy. And the founders of this country did not believe democracies were likely to be just. As Walter Williams points out here, we often hear the claim that our nation is a democracy. That wasn't the vision of the founders. They saw democracy as another form of tyranny. In Democracy, the God That Failed, Hans Hermann Hoppe notes that it is difficult to find many proponents of democracy in the history of political theory. Almost all major thinkers had nothing but contempt for democracy. Even the founding fathers of the U.S., nowadays considered the model of democracy, were strictly opposed to it. Without a single exception, they thought of democracy as nothing but mob rule. In order to create a just government, the, found, the founders established a constitutionally limited republic in which the popular vote was to be just one check among many. Notably, the word democracy does not appear anywhere in the Constitution. You know, we basically covered that uh, earlier in the episode. Yet today, the word is sacred. As Election Day approaches, Americans dutifully watch inane debates, respectfully watch commercials in which celebrities, as if they know what they're talking about, harangue them to rock the vote or other such nonsense and compulsively ask each other who they're going to vote for. On Election Day, they go to the polls as if they were receiving Holy Communion and then go through the rest of the day wearing an I Voted stickers as if these stickers were ashes on Ash Wednesday. Pat Buchanan calls the blind reverence to and all the seemingly divine force of democracy, democracy worship. He notes it was the prospect of fret spreading democracy to the Middle East that ultimately convinced the decider to decide on war in Iraq. So how did we get from the founders' deep suspicion of majority rule to the deification of democracy? You know, once humans lived in small bands and were free, true, life was dangerous, but no one told you what to do. Then came the great collusion, followed by the long oppression. As humans increased in number and food became harder to come by, bands became tribes and tribes became chiefdoms. Big chief, hungry for power, convinced the high priest to delude the people to his consent. Big chief was divinely appointed. They were told and maybe even divine himself. Therefore, the people must do what he says. Murray Rothbard economist, historian, and political theorist who was one of the greatest minds of the 20th century. Perhaps Rothbard's greatest achievement was his identification of the court intellectual. In contrast to the masses who do not create their own ideas or indeed think through these ideas independently, intellectuals are society opinion shapers. The court intellectual is the intellectual who in return for a share of a junior partnership in the power and 
health offered by the rest of the ruling class spins the apologies for state rule with which to convince a misguided public. Until recently, the propaganda put out by the court intellectuals was linked to the traditional religion. To quote Rothbard again, particularly potent among the intellectual handmaidens of the state was the priestly caste, cementing the powerful and terrible alliance of warrior chief and medicine man, of throne and altar. The state established the church and conferred upon it power, prestige, and wealth extracted from its subjects. In return, the church anointed the state with divine sanction and inculcated this sanction into the populace. Now, it's very interesting how he's describing this because he's really describing monarchs and, and how they worked with the churches to gain power and things of that nature. But really, uh, while you could criticize that with the monarchy to, you know, in, in the past, and sure, that was a, a very legitimate criticism, in the end, the, the same system exists today, right? You have the throne. The throne is seen as the president, the government, the, and, and the altar is education and the media. Again, the whole system that we just talked about with regards to it being an atheistic theocracy that controls the oligarchy, you know, that is in effect what we have. We have the throne and altar. They're just in different forms. The altar, again, is education and the media and the intellectuals, right? The priests, the, the professors, the scientists, and then we have the throne. The throne is really the oligarchy, but you could see the throne as the president and the politicians, but they're controlled very much by the oligarchy. Now, granted, because they have control over the education system, generations upon generations upon generations of people have been indoctrinated for so long, and everyone, once their minds are infected with this, this toxic ideology, they go out into the world, they work in media, they work in medicine, they work in the medical care industry, they work in the military industrial complex, they work in big tech companies, uh, consumers, retail, they also work in government. You control the education system, you create your own atheistic, secular religion, and then you spread those ideas and you, and, you, and you basically raise up generations of people and they go out and they spread these ideas into the rest of the nation. Our nation has been corrupted literally from the ground up. And now they're going to try to control it from the, the, the top down, you know, like all central, you know, planning does. But anyways, I just thought that was interesting because he made a distinction there and he actually, and he kind of described how old monarchy was, how it used to work. And really our system's no different today. Anyways, that said, let's go ahead and finish off this article real quick and we'll hop into the next one and then we'll get to uh, the end of the episode. Observing the power of the myth that says we are governing ourselves, Lou Rockwell notes that whereas kings of old would have been overthrown in short order if they had tried to grab 40% of people's earnings or told them how big to make their toilet tanks or determined how schools taught every subject, modern Americans turn a blind eye to petty tyrannies in our midst. As Bovard comments, it is as if being permitted to vote for politicians who enact unjust, oppressive new laws magically converts the stripes of, on prison shirts into emblems of freedom. It is difficult to find many proponents of democracy in history of political theory. Wise up, America. There's nothing special about 50% plus one. Truth and justice cannot be determined by a show of hands. We are not the government. Voting is not a sacrament. And as it stands today, when we're only given a choice between two establishment-approved candidates, voting is a joke. 
Voltaire, the undisputed leader of the Enlightenment, used humor and wit as two of his primary weapons, and as Robert Ingersoll remarked, in the presence of absurdity, he laughed. It was largely by making the divine right of kings a laughingstock that the Enlightenment writers destroyed it. It is time for us to do the same thing to the divine right of the majority. This year, vote laughing or stay home. Now, I actually thought that that's the end of the, the, the article. Now, granted, I did skip a a decent chunk here. So if you are interested in reading the whole thing, I'll list the link in the show notes page so you guys will be able to find it and, and you can read it yourself. Uh, I actually did read the majority of the article just for you guys know. I read a lot more than I thought I was going to. Sorry, I, I tend to do that. So we're going to do this other article. It's actually a little shorter than the other one. So it's not going to take us as long to cover. And then we will go ahead and uh, like I said, close out this episode and whatnot. But H.L. Mencken once described democracy as simply a battle of charlatans for the votes of idiots. Writing in 1937 for the Baltimore Evening Sun, Mencken theorized that by now the incurable idiots may conceivably constitute an absolute majority of the population. Alas, another election season is upon us to prove his prophetic point. Again, this was written in 2008 by Doug French, former president of the Mises Institute. And yes, I would say that Mencken's theory is right. The incurable idiots are absolutely they do constitute the majority of our population. Now, if you are here to, with me today, listening to me, I wouldn't consider you an idiot, okay? If you're highly educated or whatnot, and, and you're you're getting what I'm trying to say here. And even if you don't 100% agree with me entirely, look, if you're here, you're not one of those idiots, okay? But there are lots of idiots that are out there. We see them all the time on social media, clamoring for all kind of free stuff, more government control, less freedoms, as if that's going to make our world better. Look, those are the idiots that we're talking about here. And you know what? They exist on both the left and the right. They even exist in the Libertarian Party. One of the main reasons I don't even classify myself as a Libertarian, even though ideologically I'm pretty pretty close to it, right? Um, the vast majority of things that I talk about, the vast majority of my views on stuff absolutely are very much in line with the Libertarian philosophies and whatnot. But there are some areas where I, I differ and I don't like tying myself to a political party. Because the minute you start calling yourself a libertarian, whether you like it or not, that's exactly what's going to happen to you. But anyways, of course, this is about the time democracy fans will throw out the old Churchill saw. It has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except all the others that have been tried. But few realize that Churchill quickly added the best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. For those true believers who need a couple hundred pages of arguments that reinforce the sage of Baltimore's and the Prime Minister's view, George Mason University Associated Economic Professor Brian Kaplan has obliged with the myth of the final of the rational voter by dem why democracies choose bad policies. So, and I'm actually going to go ahead and, and kind of skip the middle of this uh, of this article, you know, simply just because you know the lack of time in the episode. But you, you feel free; I'll, I'll post the link in the in the show notes page. So feel free to listen to it or go read it if you want. It's really a fast read; it's not not too not too long. But let's go ahead and read the, kind of the last couple sections. The trouble with the world is that the stupid are cocksure and the intelligent are full of doubt. From Bertrand Russell. The fact is, people hold irrational biases, and they vote these biases because it doesn't cost them anything. So while a voter will care most about the price and the quality of a good or service in the marketplace because they are directly paying that cost, in the voting booth, the voter slash consumer can vote his or her anti-foreign make-work or pessimistic biases for nothing. Unfortunately, all these biased votes have severe negative ramifications for the economy. 
The odds against affecting any single election with one's vote are massive. Thus, the votes, no matter how irrational, don't directly cost the voter anything. Since delusional political beliefs are free, Kaplan explains, the voter consumes until he reaches his saturation point, believing whatever makes him feel best. Economists often make the point that being a bigot in the marketplace costs money, but in the voting booth, the cost vanishes because a single vote against Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton because he is black or she is a woman will not decide the election. Kaplan also addresses Hollywood's left-leaning millionaires. Arguably voting for high-taxing Democrats will cost Susan Sarandon and Tim Robbins more money in taxes than the average Joe or Jane, but their votes won't swing an election and thus they will pay a few exceptional pennies to enhance their self-image. On the supply side, the author goes to the man who wrote the book on politics, Machiavelli. Kaplan explains that when the cost of systematic error is high, politicians make shrewd and clear-eyed decisions. Thus, elected officials appeal to voter biases and don't necessarily care how policies work because voters don't care. Voters don't want politicians with economics training. They want lawyers telling them what they want to hear. Thus, 70% of presidents on half the House and Senate have been lawyers. To fix all of this, Kaplan naively thinks economics professors can correct human biases and economic class, thus making the public better voters. I side with Macon. The voters are incurable. Now, I actually found this kind of interesting, something that he set up here, uh, further up there about the Hollywood's left-leaning millionaires and how they vote for the higher, high-taxing Democrats. It, and he said that it doesn't really matter because they know that those votes, you know, it's never really going to be affected. Again, like we said, the votes don't matter because it's a, we live in a theocratically controlled oligarchy and the votes simply don't make it, don't, don't do you anything. But I will say this, that, um, with regards to high, I did say that you have all these corporations and corporatists and, and big, rich, wealthy ruling class, and they can pay the politicians. These high left-leaning millionaires have the ability to do this. If they are rich enough, they could very well be part of that ruling class, and they can give the money to the politicians that even if laws were to be enacted of super high taxation and, and basically hose the rich and stuff of that nature, they could pay for regulations to get put into the tax code that allow for them to hire tax attorneys who basically can find loopholes in the system so that they don't have to pay those high taxes. They can create corporations. They can do shell companies and other places. And again, if you if you listen to me, uh, go back and, and listen to the episode, The Truth About Trump's Taxes. We talk about how, how good you can avoid taxes. Great. Would we all have that ability? The wealthier we get, the more taxes we can avoid. We can avoid being robbed, essentially. And I don't, I don't begrudge anybody who wants to legally avoid taxes. What I'm saying, though, is that these millionaires, these left-leaning millionaires who, you know, will preach to the high heavens of higher taxation and tax the rich because, you know, we're corrupt and whatever, and we need to make them pay their share and all this kind of garbage. It's all BS. They're so wealthy, they don't pay taxes. When you're that wealthy, you don't pay taxes. Okay, if you own a big corporation, you pass down the tax dollars onto the consumer. You make your products more expensive. If you're that rich and wealthy, you can simply create corporations. You can get tax benefits. You can basically lobby with the government to put loopholes in the new tax laws that will ultimately allow you to avoid them entirely. The, the, the truly rich and the wealthy don't pay taxes, ladies and gentlemen. They just don't. High middle class people, people who make 500000 a year, yeah, I'd still classify them as high middle class. They pay taxes. 
you have to be quite wealthy, wealth, really wealthy in order to be able to avoid that kind of stuff. So anyways, guys, that's going to be it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Look, I tried my best to ultimately give you guys a rundown of why your vote isn't really going to do anything and whatnot. I try not to repeat myself too much. I hope you guys understand what it was that I was trying to say. I was I genuinely, I'm not trying to be a jerk and, and, and whatnot, but I want you to understand where I'm coming from. Okay. And understand that, you know, it's just, there's so much stuff out there that basically shows you that the system is not set up to care about your vote and that your votes really just don't matter. It's giving a false illusion of power. That's the whole problem with democracy is it gives a false illusion of power and control. And therefore, because of that false illusion, people are willing to justify all kinds of awful, horrible things that monarchs never could have gotten away with. Because everybody knew that they had no power when there was a monarchy it was absolute that they had no power. But under democracy, because they do, they justify all kinds of horrible things. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a lot of criticisms with democracy, clearly. But in the end, voting isn't really an appropriate response to wanting to try to fix the system. Look, there are lots of problems that are out there that need to be fixed. I agree with that. I, if you and I were to sit down together, we probably would agree on the vast majority of problems that exist in America today. What we would disagree with, assuming that you disagree with me, is that how to fix them. How would we fix them? If you were in favor of democracy and voting then I'm going to be honest with you, you're in favor of a lost cause, right? It's not worth it. It's not worth your time, your energy. It, you would be better served at trying to become financially free. And I know I say that all the time. I'm like a freaking broken record on this show. But ladies and gentlemen, it is the truth. It just is. Stop de being dependent on a corporation. Stop asking for freedom from politicians from government start taking the freedom yourself and become financially free control the source of your income look i think matthew erickson on the wealth power and influence show with jason stapleton said it best politics is the process of asking for freedom from someone else wealth generation is the process of creating freedom for yourself that is an excellent quote and it's so true look you don't have to become a business owner you can literally do wealth creation and, and be taking control of the source of your income. There's in so many different ways. It's virtually, there's virtually unlimited ways of doing it. I mean, if you want, you can do it through dividend investing. You can do it through, you know, bond investing with the interest rates. Although I will be honest, those are becoming very hard to do. Many companies that are being listed on the public stock exchanges aren't even offering dividends. And the ones who are don't offer very much when you consider how expensive they are. You know, on top of that, you could become a Forex trader, though. You, you could do a lot of different things. You don't have to own a business and sell a course, and you don't have to create content that puts yourself out there. And Forex trading is one of them. There's also options trading. There's stock trading. There's futures trading, trading in general. There's real estate investing. If you got a lot of money, these are great places to go. However, if you are like most people and you don't have a lot of money, you're probably sitting there saying, Matthew, what am I supposed to do? I don't have a lot of money. There are a few things that you can do. You might have to put yourself out there 
with re- with regards to a podcast, maybe a blog. Um, but you can do it. If, you, if you're very shy and you don't want to get on a podcast or a video, I would recommend a blog. Look, you could create a website for free. You could do a WordPress website. You can create whatever your domain name is and it would be your domain name dot wordpress.com. It's totally free. Uh, Weebly, again, Weebly is a, a website builder. They'll host it for free and I don't think they're the only website builders that will do this, but they'll actually host it for free and, and it'll just be whatever your, your domain name dot weebly.com. There are many site builders that will do it. If you want to do blogging, there's uh, I think blogpost.com. I, I, bloggers.com, something like that, where basically, again, it's your domain name dot blog post or whatever the website is dot com. And you don't have to pay a thing. Look, no one's going to find your website on their own. So if you want to do something of that nature, that's fine. It's low cost to you, very, very little. And here's what you do you write a blog, you know, you go to a place like snappa.com or uh, I think canva.com is another place you could go to and you can get basically generic. Uh, images, you go unsplash.com, Pixabay. These are places where you pay no royalties. It's totally for free. Uh, Snappa and Canva are not free. Although they, they do allow you to use their service from free, they do limit the, the tools and the things that you can use. But you can create, if you just want to, you could come up with a featured image, place it at the top of your blog, and then post it on Pinterest, post it on Facebook, post it on Twitter. All for free, ladies and gentlemen. You don't, have to, you don't have to spend a dime. And what this does is you slowly create an audience. And when you have an audience, then you can pref- you can sell them either products that you use and you like through affiliate programs. You can ask for donations if they like your message. Or if you want and you have a product that you want to sell yourself because you have a skill that you want to teach somebody or, or whatever, knowledge and stuff of that nature, you could do that too. The affiliate pro, the affiliate marketing guys, if, if man, hey, I, I got affiliates on my show. You guys know that. It's one of the best ways to make money if, if you can if you can get people to buy them, if you can get people to purchase them. Look, the products that you use, the products that you use in your daily life and that you have loved and you really feel very strong confidence about. As you build up the the, the trust with your with your audience and stuff, it's not a bad way to do it. And you don't have to deal with customer service. All you got to do is say, hey, this is a product. I bought it. I really liked it. If you're interested, go do it. And if you do buy, uh, I'll receive some compensation and we'll both benefit from it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's pretty good stuff. You don't have to have a lot of money. But if you don't have a lot of money, you might have to put yourself out there in order to do that. Look, that's some great information right there. I know it's like a couple minutes worth, but you can do it and you can do it cheaply. You could almost do it free. If you want to do a podcast, there's anchor.com. Anchor.com is a free podcast hosting site. They will only take a certain percentage of the amount of money for advertisements. If you're running advertisements on their platform, they'll take a certain percentage of that. And they'll also take a percentage of any kind of donations that come into your show. But they even give you the ability to take donations. You don't have to pay anything. Ladies and gentlemen, it's free to you. It really, really is great. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. If you don't want, if you don't have a lot of money for say bond investing or, or, uh, dividend investing or trading, I mean, trading requires a fair amount of money in order to live off of. It kind of depends on what your, your, your expenses are in your everyday life. But you know, if you live in the middle East, I've heard of guys that live in the middle East. I've heard of one guy actually, uh, he lives in the middle East. He can live off $500 a month. 
So he didn't have to have a lot of money in order to make uh, trading a viable option. Now, if you have, I don't know, a lot of expenses in your life and you it requires you, I don't know, six figures to live, then well, you're going to have a lot of money, right? The amount of money you're going to make from trading is a percentage of the overall underlying account. So you're going to have a lot of money. Not to mention you got to factor in other fees like uh, rollover fees. If you're holding your trades for more than a day, you got to pay for fees depending on the broker there. And then on top of all that, you also have the losses that you're going to incur. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Okay, so just some, just some things to keep in mind. But ladies and gentlemen, there are tons of ways, both expensive and cheap, to make money out there. The only thing that's holding you back is you. But it's the only way to truly become free. The answer isn't politics. The answer isn't senseless regulations or even senseless voting. It's not about Republicans and Democrats. It's not about Trump versus Biden. It's about you becoming free. Stop asking for the rulers for your freedom and go out there and take your freedom for yourself, for your families. I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but I've lived through some pretty awful times financially speaking. I mean, my wife, when we just got married, we, we lived through an eviction. We had, we were living with some friends after we got married. We couldn't even afford to live on our own. And eventually the, the husband that we, of, of the friends we were living with, you know, he got laid off and he got his old job back. Wasn't making enough. It, it, it struggled for many years while we were living with him. And eventually foreclosure and eviction occurred and my wife and I were out on the street literally our stuff was literally on the front lawn I don't say this stuff lightly okay I'm telling you you need to take control of the source of your anger so you can be independent and you don't have to worry about that how many of you want to get thrown out on the streets and have your freaking neighbors drive by and say oh my gosh what happened yeah that happened to me too that happened to, to my wife and I when our stuff was out on the front lawn. There was a there was a lady who drove by and was like, oh my gosh, what happened? Did she come by and help? No. She just wanted to gawk. It was embarrassing. It was shameful. I, it's hard to talk about even to this day. Just the emotion of it all, the pain of it all was very painful. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm telling you, I don't want any of you to go through that. I don't. I desperately don't want to see anyone go through that. Okay? Look, I, if you can help it, avoid it. Stop asking for freedom from somebody else. Get started. Unfortunately, the, 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 the next crisis looks like it's already on us. It looks like it's already here, and I fear it won't be a V-shaped recovery. And if I am right, and this is the next biggest crash, and it's not just this tiny crash that recovers very quickly... If I'm right, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have a lot of time. Unfortunately, I started this podcast uh, maybe like last year, uh, towards the end of last year. I started way too late. I'm not going to, if my wife loses her job, I'm not going to be able to take over. I'm not making enough money to take over. She's still very much the sole provider for our family. I'm doing my best. I'm trying to get my message out there. I'm trying to get everything that I'm doing. I'm trying to get it out there, right? I'm trying to become a consistently profitable trader, but in the end, time is not on my side. And I all I can do is hope, just like you. So before you start to point fingers and say, Matthew, you, it's different for you, it's not. I'm in the same boat as you guys are. 
My wife and I are, are going to be, we could very well be in the same boat as you guys are. So ladies and gentlemen, please, please, please do not discount what I'm saying. I'm trying to tell you what I believe is going to fix the problem. Trying to give you actionable steps, okay? That said though, let's go ahead and end this, uh, this episode. I kind of said that more than once already, but uh, let's go ahead and jump into the affiliate programs. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are interested in becoming a Forex trader, if you're interested in learning the skill of Forex, then go check out Tier 1 Trading. Tier 1 Trading is the number one trading coach platform that's out there, in my most humble opinion. They're absolutely amazing. You know, they got guys like Akil Stokes, Jason Graystone, Charles Miles. These, they may not, you may not know them, but they're absolutely amazing. They're very, very transparent. They're very helpful, and they will help you learn the art and the skill of trading. Tier 1 Trading can teach you so much stuff. They're not just going to teach you a strategy and call it good and let you try to figure it out from there on. No, they're going to teach you the actual skill of trading, how to create your own strategies, things of that nature. They're going to teach you technical analysis, Fibonacci's, advanced pattern recognition. They're going to teach you how to engage in money management. They're going to teach you all kinds of stuff, how to create your own strategy, how to backtest that strategy. They're going to teach you everything. So guys, if you want to learn how to trade Forex, and this, the knowledge that they teach you can easily be applied to other forms of trading as well. But if you want to know how to trade Forex, then go check out Tier 1 Trading. They're absolutely amazing. You guys won't be disappointed. They're great. So please go check them out. If you, if that's, if you guys are interested in that, Go check them out. If you guys decide to get involved, not only will you benefit from an ex excellent, excellent program, but you will also be helping support the show as well. All right. If you're agreeing with everything I'm saying, but you don't know what you want to do, ladies and gentlemen, what you really need to do is you need to go out there and you need to start sharpening your skills, learn a new skill, start getting experiences in, in different types of fields. And then one of the best ways that you could do that is to go to Skillshare. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Even if we were in good times, you should always be investing in your own human capital, increasing your skills, making yourself more valuable. So there's all kinds of courses at Skillshare, whether it's from trading to investing, whether it's, you know, in website design, computer programming, photography, how to fly drones. There's all kinds of great courses. They've got thousands of high quality courses out there. So if you agree with me and you want to become financially free, but you don't know what you want to do, then go check them out and, uh, you know, start, start taking some courses, start getting some experiences, see what's out there. And then you can kind of decide better what you want to do. Guys, it's not that expensive. It's only like a hundred bucks for an entire year. It's like dirt cheap. If you're, if you're struggling with money, it's absolutely a great place to to go. You know, look, you need to be sharpening your own human capital. You need to be sharpening your own skills. Okay. There are, there, there's a lot of stuff that's coming down the pipeline that could be very destructive for our lives. And in the end, we need as many skills as we can possibly get. And if you want to become financially free, but you don't know what you want to do, this is a great way of figuring out oh, what you want to do. So go check out Skillshare guys. They're absolutely awesome. And last but not least, look, we talk about inflation a lot on the show. And we talk about how inflation is eroding away at the value of the dollar and monetary devaluation is occurring literally every single day. And if the Fed really does decide to give money directly to people who are just going to spend it and give it right back to the rich and wealthy, that's going to cause massive, massive monetary devaluation that's going to cause massive price increases across the board. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to be pretty. 
So one of the best ways that I like to hedge against inflation, and this isn't financial advice, okay, but one of the ways that I like to handle my hedge against inflation is I like to invest in precious metals. Look, guys, you can invest in real estate, you can invest in cryptocurrencies, but in reality, they're very expensive unless you're doing some of the cheaper cryptocurrencies, but the most popular ones are quite pricey. However, if you go with precious metals, you got options like silver. Ladies and gentlemen, silver is one of the greatest ways as a hedge against inflation. It's really great. I absolutely love it. I buy it all the time. It's really, really good stuff. And I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. You know, it's my preferred method of basically building up that insurance policy against inflation. It's my it's my go-to. It's what I like to do. So what I do is usually I'll buy a silver coin from, say, like a sovereign mint, like from Canada, the UK, you know, from different countries around the world. And I actually like to buy their bullion coins. Now, they're also round coins. Round coins are just minted by non-sovereign mints. They're private mints and they just mint coins and they have some cool artwork on them and stuff like that. But their collector value is more in the artwork and the silver, not so much in the fact that it's a sovereign coin and it can be a legal tender in that country. So the, the bullion coins are actual legal tender. They carry a much more price tag on them, but they're still not that expensive. So they can be anywhere from like 30 to 60 bucks, you know, depending on how many ounces you get. They're not that expensive, but that's one of the things that I like to do. I love it. It's great. If you guys are interested, then I got a great place for you guys to go to. Go check out MoneyMetalsExchange.com. Guys, Money Metals Exchange is a great place to buy silver. It's a great place to get that hedge on inflation and get that insurance policy that will ultimately help maintain the value of your wealth that you've accumulated over the years. And it's really, really great. I absolutely love them. So I'm going to go ahead and put the link in the description below here, but here's the thing. That is not an affiliate link. It's actually just a link that takes you directly to the website, and it, this is a referral program that I'm involved in. So what that means is that you have to be a new customer. When you do your order, mention my name, Matthew Spaziti, and you will get a free coin, and I will get a free coin as well. Ladies and gentlemen, I like this program a lot. We both get free stuff. You get a free coin. I get a free coin. You get to increase your portfolio portfolio of silver. I get to do the same thing and it mutually benefits us and everything. And it is a great way to get started on your precious metals portfolio if that's something that you're interested in. So, hey, again, you have to be a new customer. You have to mention my name before you check out. And if you do all that, you will get a free coin and I will too. And I, I think it's great. That said, guys, you know, if you guys love this message, if you love what I'm doing here on the show, then please share the show, make sure to like, make sure to subscribe, and share the show wherever you are. Hit that share button, you know, odds are if you like it, somebody else is going to like it, so get out there, share to the show, I can't grow the show without you, and if you really, really love it, then please give me a rating and review on iTunes. Ladies and gentlemen, writing a review for me on iTunes is one of the best ways that you can help me grow the show, you know, it helps helps us get on the rankings on iTunes and everything. It's really, really a great meth way of doing that. So if you guys want to help me grow the show, and uh, that's a great way to do it. So please leave me a rating and review if you like what you're listening to. If you're like, if I'm providing value to you and you're liking what you're hearing, then consider going to that. And last but not least, ladies and gentlemen, again, if you like what you're hearing, if you like what I'm doing here, then please consider giving a donation to the show and help me grow this message of financial freedom to as many people as we can get to listen. Look, I when I say financial freedom, I truly mean it. A lot, Like I said, a lot of people look to politics for freedom. I don't. I look to controlling the source of our income for true freedom. And if you like that message of taking control of our lives and our liberties and our destinies, then please consider giving a donation to 
the show so I can continue to not only come in here and provide you guys this great content that the, you guys are getting a lot of value out of, but also that I can continue to spread this message. So that's it, guys. Hey, thank you for so much for being here. If you want to uh, connect with me, you know, head over to locals.com, head over to Parlor, head over to Twitter, you know, head over to YouTube. You know, I will, I got all the links in the description below. If you scroll all the way down, you will find all the links of where I'm at. You know, go join those groups, you know, parlor.com, Twitter, Facebook, you know, YouTube, locals.com. If you want to connect with me, those are the best ways to do it. Join the group. And with that said, if you guys will do all that for me, I'll see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.